Good morning, everyone. Uh, wow, does Smack 2 doesn't do that. <laughs> uh, it's a privilege to be back here uh, with everyone. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Daniel. I've been uh, able to serve in this church for a year now. So I've been here for a year. It's been very, very joyful to be here. I mainly serve in the youth. Uh, the youth ministry happens right before Smack 1 at 9 a.m. in the morning. So if you have any youth, uh, send them to me. And I will, <laughs> nah, joking. I will teach them the ways of the Lord, obviously. Yeah. Uh, funny question this morning. We're talking about miracles and whether, and I asked them, what do you think the purpose of miracles are in the Bible? And then I was joking, saying to them that when I was a kid, I tried to walk on water. Uh, guess what? Didn't work. Because <laughs> only God can do miracles, right? Uh, so today's passage, not about miracles. Uh, next week, when you hear Tim preach, he will be talking about very famous miracles in the Bible. But for today, uh, we'll be talking about hostility, persecution, some things that are more serious. So before we do that, uh, let me pray and prepare our hearts to listen to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us by your spirit and through your word. We ask now, Lord, that your Spirit enables us to see and understand you as we seek to live our lives in response to your grace and mercy. And we cannot do this without you, God. So we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So from now to about, I think, March or so, we'll be going through Matthew. So we passed in December. If you weren't here, we finished the parables in Matthew 13. And from this week onwards, uh, from until I think about March, we'll be going through chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. So we'll be going through the Gospel of Matthew together. So you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to that as well. So to start, uh, one of the things that had a profound impact on me when I was growing up as a kid was one of my home church's annual tradition. Uh, on Good Friday, uh, what we would do, we would set up a hall like this into like a cinema vibe, and we would watch the Passion of Christ on that Good Friday night. Uh, we didn't have a service back then, so that is what we would do. We would close the main hall line, some people would bring their snacks in, and we watched the movie together. And as a kid, as a small young kid growing up, I wasn't small, I was pretty big, but as a kid growing up, staring at this screen, staring at the movie and all the scenes in the movie, especially towards the end, all I could think about was the hostility and the pain that Jesus was facing. And as a kid, it was an eye-opening story to see the gospel message come to life right before my eyes. You see, in Chinese, uh, Good Friday is called So Nan Jie. But in English, it's called Good Friday. So in Chinese, to translate it, it's Suffering Day, which is very confusing as a kid. I was like, why is it in Chinese called Suffering Day, but in English, it's called Good Friday? Uh, and I see why. Because indeed, our Lord suffered many things. He was spit at. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was laughed, he was rejected, and so much more. And me at the time, and even until now, and I pray that all of us here today, we can leave this place just once again being in awe of what Christ has done for us, of what Jesus had to go through so that you and I can be free and have life to the full. Right? So in our passage today, we see many kinds of hostilities that Jesus faced, one of the kinds of Jesus hostility that Jesus faced, rather, and also by John the Baptist, uh, one of God's people and God's messenger. So look with me to verse 53 as we look right into the passage. 
So verse 53 in Matthew chapter 13, it says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. So as I mentioned just now, in the month of December, we went through the parables of the kingdom of heaven, right? the parables of the sower, the parables of the weeds, the parables of the net and pearl, and so on. And perhaps today and the rest of our passages along, it demonstrates to us the realities of how the kingdom should look like. Right? The parables were taught, this is how the kingdom should look like, and these are the examples of how the kingdom will look like. And particularly today, we will see that people reject the message of Jesus. And as a reminder to the first century apostles, the Christians in that time, and all of us here today, that there will be much hostility as we seek to proclaim the message of the kingdom of heaven. So in verse 53, Matthew indicates to us an ending of a teaching section. Right? When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away. Right? And we can see that as Matthew writes it in different ways throughout his, uh, throughout his gospel. Rather, You can see on the screen, Matthew chapter 7, right, when Jesus had finished these sayings, this was after he finished the Sermon of the Mount, he went away. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, and when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, right, and here, Matthew 13, when Jesus had finished teaching and speaking with parables, he went away from there. So in verse, 40, verse 54, it tells us where Jesus went. Jesus went away to his hometown to teach them in the synagogues. Now, what is a synagogue? For those of you who may not know, synagogue was a place of worship that was set up uh, during, after the Babylonian exile. So God's people rebelled against God, got kicked out of their country, got exiled, and when they came back, no temple already. They needed a place to worship, and the synagogue was a place of worship for the Jews. And he was teaching the crowd in the synagogue on that day and he made the crowd astonished which prompted all of them to ask the question where did this man, as you can see on the screen, where did this man get this wisdom and his mighty works? Now you and I, I'm sure if we had Jesus in front of our face we would be pretty astonished too. I mean, wow, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is, you hear these miracles that Jesus is doing, wow, you would be astonished as well. But, in Jesus' time, their astonishment was not probably not a genuine kind. It was probably an astonishment filled with skepticism, an astonishment filled with jealousy. And verse 55 tells us that they asked the question, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Now the reason Joseph's name was and Jesus' dad's name is Joseph. His name probably wasn't mentioned here. It's probably because he was already dead at the time. Or uh, they could have been asking this question in a mocking type of way. So you can imagine, right? Hey, where did this Jesus suddenly become so wise? Isn't he just a carpenter's son? He's not a son of a CEO. He's not a son of uh, a teacher. He's a son of a carpenter. How can he be so wise? Or how can this man be doing all these mighty works? Isn't his mother, we know, his brothers, we also know, right? His sisters, we also know, married local people, state bank, and I mean, we know all of them, right? No way can this small boy boy that we know growing up now become, without any education, suddenly become so wise to know who Jesus, to, to be able to be so wise and to do mighty works. You see, the people were jealous, what, isn't this Jesus who was from this kampong, that number street, that number jalan this, jalan that? How on earth can he do this? They were jealous. They were angry. 
And in verse 57, it says that they took offense at him. Literally, the word translates, they were offended because of Jesus. And the people that grew up in the same area, in the same play, in the same playground as Jesus probably all took offense at who Jesus is in front of their eyes. And Jesus responds by saying to them, by quoting probably a proverb of his time, it says, a prophet, rather, a prophet is not without honor in his household, except in his hometown and his own household, rather. And verse 58, it tells us that Jesus, in judgment of their unbelief, does not do any mighty works in their midst. Now, he did not do mighty works because of their unbelief. Now, just to address this verse for a second, this verse does not mean that if you lack faith, Jesus won't do miracles. The word unbelief here is literally translates no faith. Right? The original it says, ah, no faith, like ah, piste. Or in, we know atheism, atheist, that means there's no God here, no faith. So these people do not believe in Jesus. Therefore, because of their unbelief, Jesus did not do miracles. He did not, they did not believe who Jesus is. Therefore, Jesus, in judgment of them, walks away and did not do many mighty works there. Now, you would expect the hometown kid who is now famous in the region at the time, he comes back to a hometown, he will probably be welcomed like a celebrity. right? Uh, I'm a fan of NBA. And when an NBA player earns their first paycheck, when they come back to their hometown, they'll be treated like a god, like a superhero at the time. But Jesus, on the other hand, he faced hostility from his own friends, from his own family. He was not welcomed the way that he should be. Instead, he faced much hostility. So that's what Jesus faced in his day. Now to turn our attention to us today. First of all, what is our response to Jesus? What is our response to the gospel? In another chapter in Matthew 11, it tells us, Jesus says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now maybe you're here in church this morning. Uh, welcome to church if you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe you're unsure about who God is. Maybe just like them, you're filled with unbelief. You're a skeptic. You don't have faith in Jesus. Uh, my question to you this morning, if you are this person, is who is this Jesus to you? And may I urge you, and I'm sure many of the brothers and sisters here would urge you the same way, which is to consider the message of the gospel. It's to consider what, who this Jesus is and what he has done and trust in him. If you have more questions, there is a session in the afternoon called Reason for God that you can join. Consider asking your questions. I think today is, the topic is who, what right do you have to tell me how to live my life, if I'm not wrong. I think that's the title. So you can come along this afternoon and ask your questions. Because from that verse alone, we can say that the opposite of blessed is cursed. And the warning for you is this, that those who are offended, those who are in unbelief, those who do not trust in Jesus are cursed. And cursed simply means not that you suddenly will fall on the street later, no. 
Curse means that you will face eternal judgment from God, facing His wrath. So heed this warning and turn to Christ uh, right this day. Do not wait any longer. Do not be in your unbelief, but trust in Jesus. So that's the first group of people I'd like to address. Second group of people is this. There may be some of us here who may be very familiar with this whole Christianity thing. Just like how Jesus Kampong and the people, the friends, his family are very familiar with him. Perhaps you are seated here and over time you have grown very used to doing this church thing. But in reality, outwardly you may be Christian but you never truly trusted and repented and trusted in Jesus. Now, if you are a second generation or third generation Christian, this category fits you very nicely. Especially if you are youth sitting here today, I'm your, I'm your boss, lah, huh? so I'll speak to you as well. If you are youth sitting here today, this is especially for you. Perhaps you are so used to hearing stuff about Jesus. Your parents tell you all the time, and you're so familiar with it. You hear, ah, Jesus died for me, ah, okay, lah. Jesus died for me, ah, yeah, okay. Lah. I challenge you now, and what, like the people of Jesus Day, I challenge you to take seriously the message of Jesus and the call to follow Him. If you're unsure, come to you, speak to me, speak to your parents about it. Because you're so used to hearing it and you grow up thinking that you may be Christian, but deep down you know you are not. Maybe you don't take, I, I've heard this Jesus gospel thing a million times, I don't have to listen to it anymore, I don't need to take it seriously. Youths, your parents have raised you up well. You know, maybe some of you, your parents, maybe not. Okay, fine. But your parents love you and want you to know who Jesus is. But are you yourself just very comfortable coming to church, sitting in this red chest and then makan lunch and go home? But you've not, you're, not, you're, you're, not able, you're not at the point where you're ready to make the decision about Jesus. So I plead you this morning, Right, please trust in Him. Right, look from the text, study the Bible and see who Christ is for you. Because I hope, I really, really hope that when you hit 18 and you go to university, you will still be trusting in Jesus. I have many friends that grew up with me that no longer go to church. And it's very, very... My youth president at the time, my best friend now no longer calls himself a Christian. So I pray that you won't be like my peers who walked away from the faith, who grew up in church but never really decided to put his trust, his or her trust in Jesus. So take this call seriously, youths. Or if you're a second, third generation Christian here, take this call seriously. And lastly, in terms of Jesus' account with his hometown, if you here are facing rejection from your own friends and family, Take heart, because you are not alone. Jesus calls you his family. Right, we studied this uh, last year, Matthew 12, 50. It tells us that whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Take heart, take comfort right? that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, faced hostility from his hometown people. He was not honoured by the people who knew him since he was a kid. Maybe you share that same experience. Maybe you grew up 
right? And then you were non-Christian and suddenly you being Christian. And then all your abang adik or your friends when you were younger suddenly look at you very differently. They'll be like, Oi, stop talking about Jesus. Lah. Very noisy. Lah. You believe that? Okay, don't have to tell it to my face. Or maybe your parents, perhaps, they tell you, Oi, why you believe in Jesus? You must believe either in ancestors or Jesus. You have to choose one. There is no other choice. Friends, take heart and comfort to know that Jesus knows exactly how you are feeling. How, the struggles that you face as you seek to love the people who are closest to you, your friends, your childhood friends and your family members. Because indeed, it is difficult to face people who you love so much, but yet they are just rejecting the gospel message. So my encouragement to you is, as smack one, you know, lean on one another, lean on your GG members, ask them to pray for you, uh, host socials where they can invite their friends so that you can once again keep trying and don't keep, don't, rather don't give up, persevere on, keep turning, keep forgiving them if they offend you or anything because ultimately they're not offending you, uh, they're offending the gospel message, they're offending God himself. So keep praying for them, We'll keep praying for them as well as you seek to spread and preach the gospel to them. Okay, so continuing on. Because uh, not only did, in our text, not only did Jesus face hostility, but John the Baptist, God's prophet and messenger, also faced hostility. In chapter 14, verse 1, it tells us this. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. Now, who is Herod the Tetrarch? Well, it's not Herod. You know, during Christmas, we hear about Herod. This is a different Herod. Uh, Herod is simply a family name. So this Herod's name is Herod Antipas. Right? And Luke chapter 3, verse 1 tells us who he is. So it says that Herod Antipas was a tetrarch of Galilee. And tetrarch literally means a ruler of one quarter. So this area of Galilee, he is the ruler passed down from Herod the Great, his father. So when Herod Antipas, this guy, heard about the fame of Jesus, he recalled a very familiar person of his past. He saw Jesus doing miracles and he looked at him and he says, Eh, John the Baptist has come to life again. Huh? What happened? And that's what his thought was, Herod Antipas' thought was at the time. Perhaps Herod was feeling threatened and scared because, as we will see later, because of the history with him and John the Baptist, John the Baptist has come back to haunt him and to kill him or something like that. So from verse 3 all the way to verse 12, it's actually a flashback uh, to what happened between Herod Antipas and John the Baptist. Right? So in verse 3, it tells us that Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison. For what? Well, for the sake, the text tells us, for the sake of Herodias, his brother's wife. Now what happened? Family drama, basically. Verse 4 tells us that John had been speaking the truth towards Herod by telling them that their marriage was unlawful. Why so? Well, um, first and foremost, Herodias was Herod Antipas' brother's wife, Philip, Philip's wife, and now he's sleeping with his brother's wife. And them being together, them having sexual relations, them marrying one another is unlawful against God's law. Right, you can see on the screen, Leviticus chapter 18 verse 16 tells us that you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. 
it is your brother's nakedness. Leviticus verse 20 verse Leviticus 20 verse 21 tells us if a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. So we can see here that this marriage was unlawful. And John the Baptist was calling out their sin and calling them to repent. John the Baptist was speaking the truth to a hostile people. And we pause here for a moment to just consider the reality that all of us will have to face. That speaking the truth, speaking the gospel to others will cause much rejection and much hostility to come our way. Uh, I was once told by a pastor that, hey, we don't have to tell people they are sinners when they come to church on Sunday. Because yeah, they're already very stressed with their lives. They already know that they are sinners. Don't need to tell them that they are sinners. They will feel offended. Martin Luther, during the time of the Reformation, faced rejection from the Roman Catholic Church for defending that the scripture is the ultimate authority of God. Ultimate authority of us, rather, not God. And many churches in the West right, cower, cower in the face of secularism and there's this uh, preacher that I enjoy listening to. His name is Vodi Bokum. And he calls this the 11 commandment. He was joking, by the way. This is not serious. He calls this the 11 commandment. He says that the West is practicing the 11 commandment, 11 commandment called Thou shall be nice. And people in the West, perhaps, even us, we have to reflect, are refusing to call out sin when needed. But rather in the spirit of tolerance, in the spirit of niceness, we cower from speaking the truth. Friends, Jesus has already warned us. Right? In John 15, 18, it tells us, John 15, 18, I do not have it here, never mind. In John 15, 18, it tells us that if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you we must be ready to face hostility because Jesus himself faced hostility. We must be ready to call out the sin in others because we love the person. We want to tell them the destructive power of sin and we want to tell them to turn to God to find meaning and purpose in him. We must be ready to speak the truth because at the end of the day, God's name is on the line. His reputation ought to be defended by us in a hostile world that we live in. And lastly, we must be ready to face any consequences, perhaps, of doing so. A loss of a, 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 in, in your jobs, perhaps in your school, a rejection of your friends, whatever it may be. Because John the Baptist, he did that. He literally put his head on the line, no pun intended. And he faced very painful consequences. In verse 5, it tells us the situation. Right? Herod was very knowledgeable about the political scene at the time. Right? He knew that John the Baptist is very famous among the people. They held him to be a prophet. So killing John the Baptist now would be a very bad political move. But that did not stop Herod from making a very horrible, very stupid and outright gruesome decision. Right? And verse 6 to 7 tells us that. It was Herod's birthday party and a daughter of now wife, Herodias, probably a young girl in her teens, uh, danced and pleased Herod. So you can imagine Herod was enjoying himself in his own birthday party. Right? He promises right, to give any requests asked by this young girl. 
And Herodias jumped at the opportunity. She was very smart. And as per the request of the mother in verse 8, it tells us, uh, she tells the young girl to tell Herod, give me the head on jo- of John the Baptist here on a platter. And Herod Atipas, you can imagine he was in dilemma. On one hand, he is king, right? And as a king, we've seen it last year in Second Samuel, as a king, he must act justly. He can't just chop off a random head. As much as he did not like him, he can't just do that. It would be wrong. But he did make a promise in front of the party, in front of his honorable guests. He can't coward out now, can he? Well, in an attempt to save face, Herod sinned. He did the unjust to someone who did not deserve it. He beheaded John the Baptist. And I won't touch much on this application, but it's worth thinking about maybe us making promises that are wrong or trying to save our face and making a wrong decision at the time. There's something for us to think about in this section of Herod, but that's not the focus of the sermon today. And we will continue on right, this story next week. Um, in, uh, in verse 13, it tells us that Jesus withdrew and then we'll see many miracles in the text next week. Tim will preach and we see a very big comparison, a very big contrast about this Jesus showing compassion to the people and this Herod showing no compassion whatsoever to John the Baptist. So we'll see that next week and what Jesus has done. But today, we see John the Baptist being treated very horribly, very unjustly. He was thrown into prison, given a death that was unjust. He suffered innocently, right, as John the Baptist. But yet, John the Baptist was only a forerunner. He was the guy who prepared the way, that's what a forerunner means, prepared the way for someone who is to come, the one true innocent sufferer that will face much hostility, that will face much rejection that John the Baptist, like John the Baptist faced. Because John the Baptist, friends, is only a picture of the one true innocent sufferer to come. John is simply pointing forward to Jesus. Because John the Baptist was a sinner like you and me. He was not truly innocent in that sense, but Jesus was. And Jesus faced many things. He was beaten, as I mentioned just now. Even Barabbas, if those of you who know the story, Barabbas, an actual criminal, an actual someone who did wrong, was set free instead of this innocent Jesus. And as we think about our text today, it's a very familiar story to a lot of us. My prayer as we leave this place, as we talk with one another during lunch, that we rejoice and let our hearts once again be reminded and be filled with gratitude of what Jesus had to go through. Let our hearts be filled with gratitude because someone suffered in our place. Someone faced much rejection, infinitely more than what we had to go through. And not only of Jesus' physical, literal suffering, but let us be filled with gratitude that because of what Jesus has done, your sins, my sins, can be forgiven through the death on the cross. You see, the most hostile relationship ever existed is not between you and your wife. Um, yeah. Not between me and my husband, me and my husband, blah, me and my parents. The most hostile relationship ever 
is between sinners and a holy God. Friends, before Christ, we are enemies of God. But the good news is that Jesus died so that this hostility between you and God can be removed once and for all. So that we who were once enemies of God can now be sons and daughters of God. Now, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news to a world who needs to hear this gospel message? So for one last time, if you are someone here who has not yet trusted in Jesus, let go and repent of this hostile relationship that you have with God. Stop staying in your current place of unbelief. You know who you are. Come, trust in Jesus. Be reconciled to your Heavenly Father who loves you so much. Come, trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Him because He is your one true perfect Savior. So in conclusion, we as God's servants must be ready to face a hostile world with the truth of the gospel. And that looks very differently in each of our contexts. In your workplace, in your school, in your uni, may I urge and encourage all of us to unashamedly call ourselves Christian, to unashamedly speak the truth of the gospel. Perhaps as a stay-at-home mother, you might be wondering how can you do it. Maybe as a stay-at-home mother, be thinking of other mothers in your apartment or your neighborhood uh, to use taking care of children as a gateway to connect with other unbelievers, to be able to look after them, but more importantly, to speak the truth of the gospel to others who need to hear it. There will be some people who will be more open to us, some people who will be more aggressively against you, as the parable of the sower reminds us. Yet take heart and a reminder for all of us that our job is not to convince or to make convert them, that we ask that God's Spirit enable them to understand the gospel. We simply speak, God is the one who converts. So we ask the Spirit to enable all of us to do so, to stand firm in the gospel. And finally, as we face different challenges and rejections in this life, may we as Christians ever fix our eyes on Jesus, on he who endured much hostility as the one true innocent sufferer. And I end with the first two verses of the 12th chapter in the book of Hebrews. Uh, you can look me on the screen and I'll end with this verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your son, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hostility and rejection that you face. And Lord, help us as Christians here to firstly, um, if there are any of us who have a hostile relationship with you, who are still enemies of you, pray that your spirit at this moment and through this week, 
throughout the year convict their hearts to turn to you. Help us as Christians who are facing rejections, particularly from people who are familiar with us, from our friends and from our family. Pray that, Lord, that you enable us to stand firm, to not let go and compromise, but at the same time to speak the truth in love, to forgive and let go so that they may come to know you one day. We ask and pray for this, Lord, really, because we love our family and friends and we want them to know who you are. So please, Lord, do a work in their lives so that they may taste and see the same things that we taste and see. For those of us who are second-generation Christians, the youths, pray, Lord, that you enable them to make a decision to follow you, to trust in you, that their faith, this Christianity, is not their parents' Christianity, not their parents' faith, but it's something that they want to hold on to themselves, that's something that they want to trust as well. So we commit all these things into your hands, asking that you work uh, in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.